Hello, and welcome to the Four Cornered Room. I'm your host, Cody Clark, and today I'm here with two of my best pals, Moxie O'Brien. What's up, everybody? And Ian Compton. You know, guys, if you go uh, foraging for mushrooms, wear tick repellent. Yeah. That's a good... Or Wear tick repellent, wear long sleeves, wear good boots, and check yourself for ticks. That's yeah, all. I hear... I'm uh, giving a mini PSA before we get into another PSA yeah. and another PSA, and I'm just saying... Watch out for ticks. You know, Mama says that the alligators are so ordinary because they got all them teeth and no toothbrush. Is that right? I've heard that. Damn, be, I thought we were just giving I'd be ordinary. advice. I'd be I ordinary. Know. I mean, well, <laughs> to be honest, duct tape around your legs. That'll catch them ticks. I've heard that. Yeah. I've heard that. I have a beagle, and he gets really low to the ground to Oh, his belly stuff. is probably just... And I get really nervous, you know, like during flea and tick season... Because he's basically just wandering around the woods with his stomach, like, grazing <laughs> along the yeah, ground. Just coasting, I recently watched yeah. a video of a python in Florida that was covered in hundreds of ticks. What? Wait, wait, snakes get, snakes get I didn't ticks know and fleas? I didn't know that. It fucked you up, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I had no idea. Too. Fucked me up, too. Um, but damn. The, I guess the folks won't know that I was covered in a... I had a tick in me before the interview we did. But Literally I in PSA. him. For yeah. those of you who it's in me. That, the yes. second one of the day, yeah. the, you're killing it. You, you know, it's because you got that sweet blood. You're a there sweetie. You I want to preface, which by the, the way, you might want to get checked for like diabetes. Yeah, the mushrooms are really cool, but if I get Lyme disease, <laughs> totally not worth. Totally it. not worth. No, it, yeah. yeah, totally, no, completely, 100 percent not worth the fucking eight pounds of mushrooms I found. <laughs> is, there, is there a cure for Lyme? No, or no. You just I may be that. fucked. Yeah. No, a it's a lifelong disease. Yes, you know my my beagle also has Lyme, so it's occasionally there's a painful thing to live with. Yeah, where like occasionally he'll just start limping, and that's. $60 worth of medication you got to give him twice a day for a month that'll just be a he's four and that'll just be a thing forever yeah exactly you know? it's a shame um so this, well, that, that, talking that about is... uh, some big shames though we have uh we we just finished up a great interview yes. that we're gonna play through for you guys after this little chat but we uh came across some pretty pretty terrible news yeah from... a good friend of mine helped me to uh a situation that she was dealing with that uh, she'd asked me to share just on my Facebook account, but I said that, well, as it just so happens, I'm standing in a recording studio with a microphone and potentially about to record an intro for the most listened episode of our show ever. So Quite literally, yes. if you'd like, I could just talk about this on the show. So... Here it, here it go. Um, <clears throat> a really good friend of mine, Crystal Jaleel, uh, worked at the uh, East Liberty Target in Pittsburgh, and she had a situation there that she wanted mm. me to relate. So I'm just going to read what she said, but also start out by saying that a lot of white people like to think of Target as this like liberal kind of woke place because Trumpers won't shop there. But if you're black, you know better. I mean, this is the company that locks up the black makeup in a lot of places, like the one of the big onuses of the, the, the conflict between the people of Minneapolis and the city of Minneapolis was the police station in a Target. Like, there's a big... It was were in you, the... Yeah, were you guys not aware of that? That the police... Oh. There, was, there was, like, a police station or a sheriff's office or something? I thought the big thing was that the they target. wouldn't rebuild the Target. And I thought that was... No, that was thing. after the fact. Was in... They burned it down because there was a police station in well, that Target. Well, they don't tell you that, do No, they? of course not. Holy so, fucking shit. That's wild. That, that Target in particular had a contentious relationship with its black community, but that's not an unusual thing. So I just wanted to read to our listeners and to you because you guys haven't heard this yet either. 
Could, uh, could, and this, if, if I could jump in before you get into all yeah, that. Go ahead, go ahead. I have a close friend who worked at a local Target, and the management there was terrible, treated completely poorly by the, the staff, management. Just sounds like an awful, awful place to work. It does, and we're going to reaffirm that yeah. here. Uh, so this is my friend Crystal mm-hmm. and her right. story. Uh, team leader Gordon at the East Liberty Target made a slavery joke at my expense as we closed the story the night of May 26th. While other guest advocates were granted permission to close their registers, mine remained open for the few guests that may still be in the store. One of the guest advocates noticed that my lane was still open and yelled to Team Leader Gordon, Free her! Team Leader Gordon chuckled and said, She's been free since 18-whatever-whatever. Oh, they fuck. Referring to Juneteenth, the date that enslaved Africans in America were completely emancipated from their captors, as that information was withheld from enslaved Africans in some states, despite the Emancipation Proclamation. Stunned and overwhelmed, I quietly closed my register once I was permitted. The following night, I confided in a team leader that I trusted, who advised that I report the incident. On May 30th, I reported the information to Human Resources, who advised that my report would remain confidential and there would be no retaliation. I found, however, when I reported to work my next shift, that team members that were usually kind and cordial in conversation with me met my eyes with cold stares and salutations. I advised HR then that team members knew and were treating me differently, to which they responded, How? I was advised that they would check on me throughout the night. This behavior from team members and even some team leaders, including team leader Gordon, continued each shift that I worked, making me feel isolated, humiliated, and overwhelmed, which immediately affected my mental, physical, and emotional health. I absolutely loved working at Target. It was a job that I looked forward to going to, and while working with the public, especially during COVID-19, had its moments of discomfort, it was a fun place to work. Due to the breach in confidentiality and the harm I retained from both Team Leader Gordon and retaliation of my teammates, I put in my resignation yesterday. I'm grieving that I was put in a position to either endure being treated poorly by my team to continue to pay my bills, or quit for the sake of my health. I'm especially grieving that gentrification has pushed me completely from East Liberty. As a person displaced via the gentrification in East Liberty, it meant a lot to me that I could still be present there somehow. I know a lot of folks probably would have just walked out that night, the night of the incident. I honestly had hopes that my team would do the right thing, but the, quote, the master's tools will never dismantle the master's house. Audre Lord. So, this is a person who'd worked for this company for several years through the COVID-19 pandemic and all of that, uh, we care about essential workers bullshit. That's exactly right. Yep. And had to deal with management making a slave joke and couldn't even confidentially report it without being shamed by their coworkers for not being comfortable with the way that they were being talked to by management. So, having said that, and I think I speak for all three of us when I say this, fuck Target, fuck this Gordon dude, fuck specifically the East Liberty Target, and fuck the gentrification of East Liberty, which has driven black people out of an area that was historically ours, and forced us to move into other areas that are more expensive, not conducive to our lifestyle. And uh, what was that fucking, um, that chicken place, man? You know the one I'm talking about? The hip-hop chicken place? Oh, my God. That, um, it's, it's, the, the, the process of gentrification is disgusting. 
seeing white people move into areas that were originally black neighborhoods and acting like it's a a new idea to sell fried chicken in East Liberty and watered-down, assless fried chicken like that bird-on-the-run bullshit. Uh, it's, It's a shame to see what love of profit has forced, or I guess has caused cities to do to... Uh, communities of people who have been faithful uh, and lived there for long periods of time. Surely. It just shows you that there's no real... um... There is no loyalty from your employers. No. If I may, as someone who has worked multiple jobs and has gone into a supervisor or managerial position, Mm -hmm. you're there to listen to people. You're there to solve problems. And to fix schedules, you're you're not there to have a power over it's, people. It's not a power trip thing. I when I was at the ice cream shop, not to derail everything, but like you're there to be a helper, and that was like no, a manager usually it's not worth taking that position because you don't get paid enough. Like you're supposed to just be the guy like is help or the person who is helping everyone. But you also have to look at it structurally beyond just the manager who is a dick, Ian, and look at the fact that this woman could not confidentially no, no, I, report a concern. Without it's way farther than that water like, yes. cooler bullshit yes, making it yes. impossible for her to go to work at a time period when yes. money is tight, you know, rent moratoriums are ending soon and a lot of people are going to go thousands of dollars in rent all at one time. Like there's and, a lot happening socially right now. And a comment that should where, just immediately be red flag, not even right. Question. As as a manager, you should have. Uh, said something to the guy who made the comment about free her. What the fuck are we doing here? Like, yeah, well, there's hey. appropriate workplace conversation. And exactly. it just irritates me that like target is forever pur- purported to be this like white liberal bastion of like Capri pants and Taylor Swift records. And it's just uh, race, racist bullshit. <laughs> we failed by that stuff. It's, yep. it's, 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 it's the liberal ideologies, yeah, right? It is. It's liberal. That's just what it is. Basically. Yeah. We can't be racist. We gave you a job or whatever yeah, the yeah, fuck yeah. it happens to be. So it's just we don't stand for that garbage. And I no, wanted no. to fuck redlining, fuck workplace discrimination. We here at the Four Cornered Room support you to have the right to be within your own body autonomy and be be safe in a place that you think you know you would want to be. And because we're huge fans of calls to action, those of you who've been longtime fans of the show know this about us. If anyone in the general Pittsburgh, Western Pennsylvania area, would like to go to the East Liberty Target and perhaps voice your disapproval with the way that this black woman was treated by this corporation, we may invite you to do that in Minecraft. Um, We could probably pull up a phone number for you here, as a matter of fact, if you'd like to call and you're not in the immediate vicinity of the East Liberty target. And I think we're going to do that for you too, because I am uh, furious at the way this black woman was treated. So that took you two seconds. (laughs) The East Liberty targets address is six, two, three, one Penn Avenue, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. That is one, five, two, zero, six, six, two, three, one Penn Avenue, one, five, two, oh, six. And the phone number is four, one, two, 626-3258. Oh, and the name of that manager that you'd be uh, calling in to talk about was Gordon, by the way. Team leader Gordon. The last four is 3258. So, <laughs> just for, for posterity's sake, that's uh, East Liberty Target, 
6231 Penn Avenue, Pittsburgh, PA, 15206, can be reached at 412-626-3258. And you are calling in regards to an incident involving Team Leader Gordon. Thanks, everybody. I appreciate you indulging me in that. And with that, we're going to lead into this awesome fucking interview we had just Holy had. Holy shit. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> fucking, I, that, I'm, I'm so excited for people to hear this shit, man. So we've got uh, Dan Friesen of Knowledge Fight. Uh, he's been in the New York Times. He hosts this podcast as well as another podcast occasionally called uh, uh, they, uh, That's What They Want You To Think. Uh, he's done, I think, what, 575 episodes of multiple hours dissecting one of the most vile people on the planet. Studying uh, and editing himself. Just, it's remarkable. All of the all research, all of the editing, yeah. he does all of it himself. That's it's, a lot, folks. You Shout want to out, talk Dan. about a fucking Jedi, Dan Friesen. Mm-hmm. Uh, the hep, not quite so young. Jedi, yes. Dan Friesen. Uh, young so, at heart, for yes, sure. The, the hep, young at heart Jedi. I feel like now we're just being a dick to a dude who's been on the show. <laughs> Dan, we love we you. That's all we're trying to say. We love you. That's true. We, <laughs> yeah, we did fuck with you a little bit. We also good. fucked with you about Carly You're a good Ray guy. Pretty, it was a fun, fun uh, conversation. So we're going to lead into that now, and we hope you guys enjoy it. We did about an hour and ten minutes with Dan where we talk about Alex Jones and all of his influences. Bill and Cooper and just Bill all Cooper, of the... Uh, uh, if you listened to last week's episode, or two weeks... Nope, last week's episode of the show, uh, Father Charles Coughlin, we play a right. clip from that just to demonstrate how the right wing has kind of always been the same. And uh, this is a pretty big deal for us in terms of podcast guests, so we hope you guys enjoy it. Uh, We sure were fucking excited doing it. Yeah. And now, let's get to it. Woo! (laughs) Thank you, everybody. Dan! Dan Friesen of Knowledge Fight. Thank you for being here. Welcome to the Four Cornered Room. Uh, Thrill! I'm Moxie. Uh, These are my co-hosts. Cody and Ian, and uh, I have a fuckload of questions related to conspiracy and Alex Jones to, to ask you today. Sure, I'd be happy to uh, talk about whatever is on your mind. Hopefully I have a decent answer. Well, I guess first and foremost, why Alex specifically? Is, is he like unique within the broader grifter community in your opinion? I, I think so. I, I think I think one of the reasons that Alex is so like something that I can focus on is I think he has this amazing balance of his propaganda and the things that he talks about are rooted in historical things like historical conspiracy theories. Sure. The, the tradition of people like Bill Cooper, um, the, the right wing uh, uh, boom of the 90s, the militia the, movement. Yeah, and the anti-communism of the uh, the Cold War and just after the Cold War, he has that intellectual tradition. And then at the same time, he's completely nuts. And right. he loses his mind on air constantly. He's a petulant little baby. And it's really, there's a kind of a funny element of listening to his show where he has outbursts about tech problems. And so, you know, he's, he, He's not as dry as someone who just has the history, but he also isn't like some of these new people, some of these new right wing con artists like 
They don't have the tradition. They're not grounded it's in the militia. It's more just frightening than anything else with a lot of the newer people. Yeah. I was, uh, we were just talking about the uh, the episode of your show you just released, uh, the 4th of July episode about Nick Fuentes that I wanted to mm. – he was someone I kind of wanted to talk about later in the episode as mm-hmm. where the right – uh, particularly the propaganda grifter aspect of the right wing has gone to, I don't want to say post Alex cause he's still a thing, but mm-hmm. it seems that not necessarily his relevance, but his efficacy has waned over time as things have gotten more overt and more extreme. I uh, think so. I think especially with the, uh, the, the internet, the way the internet has grown as it has, it makes his place in the, uh, the entire thing a lot less relevant like he used to he used to have the largest platform of any weirdo in the world, probably uh, the, the widest reach, the most ability to take things from message boards and report them as news. And now anybody can do that. And, That's true. And, you know, online, you could have your own radio show. And if you do a good enough job and you promote well, you could conceivably have as large an audience as him. And uh, the democratization of it has not gone well. Uh, especially as he's tried less and less. It's it's <laughs> been oh go ahead I'm sorry. Oh no that's all right I I didn't I was just gonna say he's very lazy. It's it's been <laughs> really interesting to see the generation of people who's come up with Alex being around. Like I think I think you and I are about the same age, right? You're you're like thirty four, thirty five. Right Let's there. say that sure. I'm 37. Okay, yeah, yeah. okay. So uh, roughly the same age. Like he came up in the 90s and the 80s, where things like Coast to Coast AM. You know, you mentioned Bill Cooper, uh, mm-hmm. the X Files, and Alex was sort of nebulous to all of that, but it mm-hmm. wasn't, I guess, as mainstream platformed as it is now. Uh, where you kind of had to look for that shit, mm-hmm. and now it's just sort of. I think with YouTube, especially, it's just so much more readily available and less a fun, quirky thing mm-hmm. that there's a whole generation of kids who grew up with the ability to just see Alex screaming from, I mean, I've heard things particularly on your show where some of his listeners are, you know, under 14 in some cases. Yeah. That kind of thing always scares me. Whenever I hear a caller who's like under the age of majority or whatever the term is, like anyone who's under 18 who calls in, I get so scared. It, it's only <laughs> happened a few times in the time I've been listening, but when it does, it's just like, this is, that kid doesn't have a chance. Right, it's- that's true. I mean, uh, I, I listened to the um, the interview Alex did with Jake Angeli that you covered a bit on your show, and that's, uh, it's really difficult for me with people like that to not over-empathize, because it's, mm-hmm. it's hard not to see a person who was, I, I don't want to say brainwashed, because that seems like too severe of a term, but someone who's been so inundated with fear and propaganda and bullshit for such a long time that I'm not even sure if they rationalize things properly anymore. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to say. There's a lot of cannon fodder, I guess, is is what I'm getting at. Uh, To that point, you know, young people uh, interested in conspiratorial things. Did you grow up like uh, interested in any because there was so much of it, you know? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, I think I think the some of the examples that you mentioned were definitely the like my parents love the X-Files. And so you would watch that. And, you know, the lone gunmen were certainly really cool on the show. And, uh, you know, as I got older, I did definitely gravitate towards like coast to coast. I liked the 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 possibility that there was more to experience and more to life than was apparent. You know, like I, I. I did really enjoy that. 
And I think, you know, I was I was of the right age when 9-11 happened that it confused the hell out of me. And I think I did uh, get sucked into not not fully believing um, a lot of those conspiracies, but I, I drifted more towards it and was more curious about it than I like to admit in hindsight. Is that sort of when you were introduced to Alex? Like, what, what was your introduction to Alex Jones? God, it feels like he's been with me forever. Um, <laughs> oh, boy. I, the other I footsteps think... in the sand, as you say, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, I think if I, had to, if I had to guess, I would say that it had to have been around, you know, when I was in college. So I think it was probably a bit after 9-11. I think I probably had some, like, uh, like, random awareness of him i know i saw waking life when right, it came out right right the link stuff so i was aware of him like kind of from that but i think it was in college that i i started to see like some of his stuff pop up in in like hey hey did you hear did you hear about this and uh i think i i, I remember exploring it a bit but it definitely didn't uh turn into something i i focused on a lot or i knew a lot about until probably 2014 2015 you know like i i started to get really confused by how like i tuned where into some show. of the ideas were coming from yeah kind of <laughs> yeah. and i tuned into his show one time just randomly and i was like this is way more religious than i remember it being <laughs> and i was so confused i was like i thought this dude was just like he was a conspiracy. I didn't realize this was a like a broadcast, like a preaching thing. And and so I, I started listening more. And and when I especially once I realized he like had gotten into Trump, I was like, wait, I thought he hated politicians. What is going on here? Oh, man. Um, and so a lot of that confusion is where like my my diving in happened. I, I think and it's really weird now and I, I I guess it's not strange necessarily because I there's so many examples of it. I think the first time I can recall hearing Alex do anything was opening for Doug Stanhope. Really? I, I heard a bootleg of him opening for Doug Stanhope. <laughs> That's getting awesome. booed off the fucking stage as he just got progressively angrier and angrier and angrier at the crowd. And that was I, uh, that was when he threatened to like start a fight with a guy, right? Yeah, he was trying to fight a guy in the crowd, and he was screaming about. Uh, I, I don't know if you know this or something. That you that video is on YouTube. You can watch that. The whole you... thing, really, uh, the yep. actual footage of that. I need to see the the footage it, that accompanies that. I've only yeah, heard the audio. That's yeah, it's uh, it's not a good set as someone who. <laughs> Well, that's another, you know, you talked about trends in the right wing as far as, you know, uh, anti-communism and things like that. I think another one is failed comics. Oh, man. There's so, uh, I didn't know Dennis Miller had fans before. I think that he found. He was was huge. He was a great, (laughs) he was a massively respected comic uh, and then stopped being funny and started promoting the Iraq war. But yeah, yeah, I think a lot of um, a lot of folks you'll find are are people who had comedy careers that they wanted to work out and didn't. People like Dave Rubin and yeah. Stephen Crowder, Tom are, Yeah, there are people who I think, and I think one of the things that really sucks about stand up, unfortunately, is that if you don't succeed at it, it's hard not to take that personally. Yeah, because, because they don't like you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I did stand up. I completely understand. Yeah, when the crowd's you're, try, not you're trying laughing, to get a... They don't like you. 
Yeah, you want a group of people to like your personality that you're presenting, and if you fail at that, there's then no one you're... to blame it on. But you, oh, I suck. It's Literally, the biggest ego I check. <laughs> yeah, and I think I think that you don't have to feel that way, but it's really hard not to. Absolutely. And I think that that engenders some uh, some bitterness in people, and you can and... feel the resentment. I mean, mm-hmm. there's uh, I keep thinking in my mind right now about Gavin McGinnis. Uh, mm-hmm. He was he was another one, right? That wanted to be a comic and that just didn't work out i believe Uh, so yeah there's just a a regular theme of guys on the right who wanted to do something and the world told them no so now they scream about the jews (laughs) yeah yep (laughs) um and with that actually i kind of wanted to go over some of the things that i I think influenced alex uh, a lot of a lot of which i know you've discussed on your show we talked a bit about um father charles coughlin on our Mm -hmm. show about a week ago, and I wasn't sure how familiar you were with him as like he's, a proto Alex Jones character. He's he's somebody that I I I want to be more familiar with, and I I, I intend to look deeper into in the future. But in terms of of him, yeah, I mean he's he was a guy who uh, was a you know a, a Catholic uh, speaker who uh, had a radio show and. You know, he did his his uh, sort of let's stay out of World War Two thing, and then uh, it spiraled into anti-Semitism pretty fast. <laughs> we actually have a clip, if if uh, if Cody, you can get that going here of Coughlin for reference here, uh, because I think it highlights something very interesting about uh, someone who, again, I would say is proto Alex Jones, and uh, that is that it's profoundly anti-federal reserve it's crazy how that's always been a thing Mm -hmm. that uh through line from uh the banks are the problem to the federal reserve is the problem to the jews run the banks to the jews are the problem has been a thing since like the 1920s it's an a to b to c to d it's right it's it's it's, Um, it's a constant thing you can track it uh cody do you have that yeah sure let's do it so we have a clip here for you There is written in the Constitution of the United States that Congress has the right to coin, issue, and regulate the value of money. That's good Americanism, and it's good enough for me. Every politician today in the Democratic or Republican ranks who sits upon one of the thrones of the mighty doesn't believe in that part of the Constitution. They don't want to believe in that part of the Constitution. They believe that the Federal Reserve Bank has the right to coin and regulate the value of money. They're not even Americans, these so-called Democrats and Republicans. And so, Mr. Roosevelt, who was very loquacious in 1933 about driving the money changers out of the temple, is now bent upon another policy. I think driving the workmen out of decent annual wages. The way his hair moves (laughs) when his head bobs is hilarious. It's also, it reminds me of watching Alex yell. Very much so. That at each congressional district here in Illinois... We will endorse a candidate who can rise above his party and puts patriotism first. 
doing like the Nazi arm movement. Well, I mean, he was <laughs> paid. He was paid by Nazi Germany. Or a Republican or whatnot. True. But we're through with our You got to do the dance moves then. Yeah. Look at that hair. And now we're on our own. Look at that hair go. <laughs> hair has a mind of its own. It's, it's, it's almost hard to believe it's attached. Form your battalions. Oh Take up the shield of your defense. Unsheathe the sword of your truth. And carry on in Illinois so that the communists, on the one hand, there it is. cannot scourge us, and that the modern capitalists, on the other, cannot plague us. Okay. Wow! Have you seen that? Have you seen that clip before, Dan? I, I had not. No, I've, I've mostly listened to uh, some recordings that I have of uh, Father Coughlin's shows. Fine, like, pardon me. It pardon some me. some of the stuff is intensely boring, and Absolutely. and honestly, most of what I have familiarity of his content is not really that bombastic. And so, seeing that hair wiggle was <laughs> was a pretty new experience. Yeah, wow. It, it was it was I, I, Hitler esque gets thrown around so frequently these days, but the, it definitely had a bit of that flair to it. And sure, it's it's always interesting to me when you study people like this, or you know, we you mentioned Bill Cooper earlier, who we could talk a bit more about here in a minute. Mm-hmm. Uh, that you can almost just see the blueprint very much laid out. And uh, sorry, I was distracted by Celine. Yeah, sorry, my cat just jumped into my lap. She's. Uh... She wants attention. That's totally fine. We threw in that you were the high priest of the cult of Celine into the intro for the episode. So that's... Uh, okay. Well, it's only fitting that she makes an appearance then. Absolutely. Uh, but yes, it's it's just interesting how the blueprint hasn't really changed much over the last 70 years. Yeah. I mean, there's there's uh, sort of little, little um, changes. You know, there's, there's definitely changes in performance. There's sure. difference in um, the particular... Uh, ways that you you make your narratives obviously uh shifting world circumstances demand that and so you know the sort of things that someone like uh coglin or bill cooper would be saying wouldn't fly during the pandemic so alec you know you have to be adaptable to to the circumstances that you're in if you want uh, your stuff to be marketable but yeah a lot of stuff is is shockingly like oh this is the same it's it's just the same Mm-hmm. Uh, now, I think uh, concern like the people just do, who do the like pretend concern about free speech and right. stuff like that. That's always that's a, a that's a standard tactic that's been used uh, over time. It's it's not there's not that much new. No. Uh, and I think that another thread that you see occur over and over and over again. And I don't think it's as overt with Alex. Like, I don't know if he's avowedly Christian identity, but there's definitely a lot adjacent between like he the Christ- won't. He- you wouldn't use those words, but almost everything that you could find that would be like, it's huh, glaringly apparent. It's, yeah. <laughs> I guess like, not if people don't know what Christian identity is, because something I've discovered is that as long as it's been around, it, a lot of people are not aware of it. Yeah. I mean, I grew up Christian. I don't think I was really even all that aware uh, that that uh, segment existed. Uh, and I guess it's not really. I it's, wouldn't fully it's call hard it to call Christian, them but... Christians. It's more of a militia movement that has God yeah. in there somewhere. Yeah, uh, Christians <laughs> in the name, but it's not fair to Christians to uh, to associate it. That's true. Um, actually, that this is a bit of a diversion, but we did just kind of lead into it. How do you deal with being uh, 
so objective, and I don't want to say overly fair, but uh, empathetic to a person who's kind of a racist monster. You know, is that a difficult thing to uh, to? I don't feel good about it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, I mean it's it's hard. Difficult to to maintain. I have to compartmentalize stuff a tiny bit, like on a personal level. Like there's stuff that I find personally abhorrent, but I also know that. there's no effective way for me to discuss it if I treat it the way I would personally treat it, which is either ignore it, condone it, uh, or, or I'm sorry, not condone it, uh, denounce it, blah, um, and or, or even respond the way that Jordan does, which is like, you, you know, fuck you. <laughs> the way you know, I that kind of, <laughs> Yeah, that, that would be my knee-jerk reaction, but there's a, there's a level of awareness that I have that if I were to do that only on the show or that would be my only response i don't know if that is an effective way to counter some of the ideas and some of the the points that are being brought up and if i want to contribute as much as i can then some of that i need to put aside a little bit Mm. and uh feel it understand it appreciate it um but but not descend into only being reactionary or, or just reactive as it were allow Jordan to do that yelling and then <laughs> I can feel that way. And then uh, I can snuggle with my cat and, uh, you know, let it sort of, uh, come out, come out through my pores. Or sure. Something. Right, yeah, yeah. Would you say like in that respect, like is self care difficult for you with, with what you do as far as having to wade through? I mean, you don't just cover Alex as we've kind of alluded to. There's several mm-hmm. other, people that you've had as focus on the show is it difficult to do that for a job and uh, maintain you know a level of distance from what you do i I think that some people have it much worse like i know uh i mean they're not really people that i know personally but i know that there are a lot of folks i've interacted with like through social media who pay attention to deep uh white supremacist Mm. uh message boards and telegram and stuff and i think that that actually is probably scarier and more painful than than what i subject myself to um and so i would never want to say that like it's it's that terrible um but it is it's it's challenging on some levels i mean it's depressing he's a difficult person to listen to i i have to assume it's a struggle imagining that people take it seriously is really one of the hardest parts sure like when I, I listen to it, I can take him and, and imagine him um, saying these things and then I can respond to them and, you know, do that. But then the notion that there are people who listen and are like, this guy gets it. He's real smart. That makes me very sad. And that that's kind of where a lot of my like self-care needs to come in in terms of like, like allowing myself to understand his victims in a sense that definitely helps me uh, uh, put him to the side a little bit, you know, because the people, a lot of people probably are well-meaning enough who get tricked into or sucked into a lot of uh, the propaganda that we see. Um, well, and as we discussed, Alex has kind of evolved. I mean, it didn't used to be this sort of semi-overt militant Christo-fascist shit that it is now. You True. Know, he, just sort of used to be the crazy guy who would get red in the face ranting about gay frogs or whatever. And sure. while that's not, I mean, not to say that that material aged well or anything, it's easier to 
you know, sit in the basement with your buddies and laugh at the crazy guy than it is, oh, he thinks that we should be killing leftists in the street. This is terrifying. Yeah, um, and if, if he just kept it in that territory of yelling about gay frogs and stuff, it's like, okay, you're misrepresenting what this is about, this this idea of, like, the chemicals in sure. the water and what have you, but what you're talking about is an actual environmental issue, right. and so if you want to use that yelling to bring attention to something that we could, like, oh, I don't know, make regulations about, then I'm, <laughs> I guess it makes sense, but as long as it's just, like, yelling about something in order to bring awareness to your pill company it just i don't i don't understand how that's that's helpful but it's that's a sad yeah. grift <laughs> so it makes a good lie is that nugget of truth mm-hmm. yeah definitely definitely now to that point do you think he can go back from where he like i i wonder sometimes where he goes from what he's turned into it's it's you know. that's a that's such a fascinating question because like i have many times been like well there's no going back from this and then i've been wrong <laughs> I've been so wrong. I think it's going to be really difficult to come back from this worldwide experience that we've all had with COVID mm. and the amount of trauma that people have experienced with loved ones getting sick and dying. Um, even if you haven't had loved ones who have died, you know uh, someone who has, I'm sure. And the things, the sacrifices we've all had to make with lifestyle changes and you know, people, uh, employment difficulties, the way that Alex has exploited that consistently over and over again in different ways. Um, and also been like, this is the end of the world. This is the globalist killing everybody. I don't know how you can keep your audience after that. If it doesn't come true, you know, if it's not the end of the world and we do end up coming to a better place and lockdowns aren't permanent. And, uh, I, I, then again, though, like doomsday preachers who say, That's you true. know, yeah, I mean, Seventh day, day Adventists are a thing. You know, the millennialists were a thing. There's there's plenty mm -hmm. of precedent for groups that you just move the date. I think yeah. it's more the ride that the group is on than the destination for some of those people. I yeah, mean, it's it's hard to imagine. Like, I guess, you know, we're, you know, from our perspective, like it would be hard to imagine like being that wrong or listening to someone who is that wrong and then being like, I'll give him one more chance, but <laughs> but some people do, I guess, and that's that's uh, so. If he can do it, I guess I'll be amazed. He's, he's gonna have to. It's a Duke's a hazard it, but I I, I think he's fucked. Quite well, frankly. and there's also like we sort of discussed a bit earlier that that the right seems to be moving beyond the brand of edging that Alex. Uh, prescribes to that yeah, yeah i heard some people call into the show listening to your podcast and the general sentiment seems to be i think you're full of shit and you don't really want to do anything you're just trying to sell me things mm -hmm. and i don't know where you move on from your audience understanding that uh, i think you'll relate to this analogy because i've heard you talk about wrestling a lot i i mm -hmm. used to be a big professional wrestling fan I think sure. there's a big aspect of very much so. Uh, there's a big aspect of professional wrestling and what he does, what Trump does, what I see a lot of the grifter right wing do, where it's very clearly you are playing a character doing a structured routine to an extent. Uh, yeah. So once the audience gets that, I don't know how you pivot. Oh, you, well, you, you know what I mean? You fight the audience, right? Isn't that the whole thing? <laughs> you become the heel. 
<laughs> right? He, what if you're already the biggest heel in the company, though? Like, I don't know that or- who Vince McMahon fights after he beats Stone Cold Steve Austin. I don't really know what the next move is. Oh, uh, wait, didn't they? I the saw- WWE didn't seem to know either. I, I, yeah. <laughs> don't you go full reality show like Hogan? Well, I don't. I mean, maybe I don't Remember. know. I don't know what the next move is, though. But to be fair, uh, spoiler alert for our next episode: Alex uh, is talking about getting into uh, doing some stunt pay-per-view fights. No. So no. maybe, maybe that's his next move. No. Oh God! MMA, here we go. No. He could go down to West Virginia. You can do backyard fighting for. That's a, sorry. Oh yeah, look, let's get him thrown off a shed. I, I mean, Holy shit. It's, it's shit, not that, that much happen. more gonzo than some of the shit you've actually seen. In yeah, I would show, love to see that, like, uh, just see that graphic. Alex Jones is all elite. <laughs> <laughs> that's a big it's signing. Just him doing the too sweet. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's a level of acceptance I think he's been trying to achieve for quite some time. That might be. Yeah. <laughs> to your to your question, though, I think that there's um, it, it it's even beyond playing a character. It's, that, you know, how like wrestlers work together to create a program so you know you have your feud that's going and then there's supposed to be escalation and then a blow off to the feud at the pay-per-view you know that's supposed to be the way that the narrative arc works and people understand that and you allow yourself to go along with it the thing with alex that i've noticed is like He's building these feuds and these programs with people who are not involved with him at all. (laughs) Like he's trying to shoot on like uh, Bill Gates and Bill Gates isn't coming back and doing a promo about him. So it's Alex building up to this fight that's never going to happen. Against Beijing an Biden does not know that Alex Jones is a person. <laughs> Certainly not. And there is no pay-per-view, so there's no blow-off match to it. It's just constantly like building towards something that will never happen. And it's it's, it's that edging thing. That edging yeah. thing. Just and bad. I think. I'm oh, sorry. You go on. I think it just leaves people in a position where like if somebody comes along who's more extreme, who's willing to offer that pay-per-view match, like it's hard not to follow that other more extreme person who's actually going to give you the the feeling that you want. Which is why Nick Fuentes is so fucking terrifying. Um, Sure. And their collaboration is terrifying because it's like an instant pipeline of disenchanted Alex fans to this more extreme person. And it, I am quite worried about that. I saw a picture of Nick. Uh, there was a Mother Jones article that came out around the 4th of July. I don't know if you saw it, uh, where uh, the the front picture was Nick standing in between, I think it was Dinesh D'Souza and Alex, and he had mm-hmm. the megaphone. And they both just looked like such proud parents. It was a very <laughs> frightening image. <laughs> just to Look see. what we've done. <laughs> Look what we made. <laughs> I yeah. guess uh, to that point of what you do, uh, how like, we talked a bit about how you get people through the, the conspiratorial thinking that you get from Alex Jones. How do you deplatform a person like Nick who doesn't give a shit that everyone knows what he is? I, yeah, don't, I don't know. That's the scary thing for me personally, uh, is yeah. that I think that with people like Alex or Laura Loomer or some of the other people in that general, there was a lot of covert language. It was, you don't say the quiet part too loud unless you know mm-hmm. you're the only ones in the room. And then there's this kid who's just kind of like a soft exterminationist. And I don't know how you say, so, so he hates Jews and gay people. Yeah, we know. He told us. <laughs> <laughs> that's why we're all here. Well, so, let's keep his blue check mark uh, until 
until we we just can't anymore. Is he is he still on Twitter? I he don't just even... got kicked off on Friday. You're actually. kidding me. That recently. Yeah, and a bunch of people joked that it was because our episode was about nice. him on Friday. <laughs> yeah, that was a great episode, man. It's it's absolutely not related at all, but I, I do enjoy the... It felt good to wake up to that, <laughs> yeah. for sure. Uh, and I guess I'll just jump back. That was a huge diversion from when we started talking about Alex's influences and then went off on a massive tangent. I didn't I'm, I'm very much used to that. That's how every conversation I have goes. It Perfect. Just, so I don't, whatever. I don't feel like I look unprofessional then. Could I no. touch um, back on the WWE thing real sure, fast? Sure, what's like, up? It just seems Absolutely. Like, well, it just seems like Alex Jones is just doing a really, really, really bad Andy Kaufman. Remember when he would mm-hmm. wrestle women and stuff like in the 80s? Yeah. That, that's just what it reminds me. So like he's trying to be an Andy Kaufman, but he's fucking terrible. Can that's I insert all. a really horrible anecdote now that you've brought Andy Kaufman Whoa, into the conversation? Yeah, yeah. oh shit. So <laughs> oh, shit. on Facebook <laughs> in 2015, when Donald Trump was running for president, as a gag, I said, I can't wait until Trump wins the election and then the next day unmasks himself and we find out Kaufman's <laughs> been doing a bit since the 70s where he plays mm-hmm. an unlikable dick with a billion dollars. Andy Kaufman's <laughs> fan page liked the post. So I got a notification wow. like 10 minutes later said Andy Kaufman likes this and had to look behind me and make sure he wasn't under my <laughs> oh, bed. Um, that's, that's as much confirmation as you're going to get of your theory. That's what I thought. I said, does this mean this is a thing? Did I just spoil the surprise? Uh, no, the surprise was the country is over. But um... <laughs> Balloons just dropped. Yeah. <laughs> Deflated it's my mission accomplished with the with the jacket thing. Um, but <laughs> sorry, I, I just once you said Kaufman, I had to throw that in there because I've never saying, told that story just, on the show. Yeah, you know. Thank you for telling it. Yeah, I I do wonder how much of it's method acting though. With Alex. with Alex, yeah. How much of it do you think is a character? Honestly, see, that's that's the question that I always thought I'd have a better sense of from watching hundreds and hundreds of hours of him. Sure. But I honestly, I would not be surprised to learn any number of like combinations of of real and fakeness. Like, I think he's definitely far more in control of his fake emotions than he pretends to be. Sure. Like when he fake cries and stuff on the show or like, you know, he yells about the devil and stuff. And then, oh, mysteriously, we're about to go to commercial. And, you know, here's an ad. There is a big Jimmy Swaggart aspect to some of what Mm -hmm. what he see him do these days, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think it was even more in the past, though. Like when we've been going back and looking at episodes from like the 2003 era, there is a bit more of that sort of tent preacher revival. No so the religion yeah. thing is not really a new component. It's it's sort of always been there. I think the 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 sort of rhetorical tricks and the the speech patterns and stuff like that that come out of that tradition have been there quite a while. Um, the the definitely the more explicit references to satan and sure. christianity and how this is a religious mission for him that's a little bit more recent that doesn't seem to be uh there in the past do you much. think that's an attempt to mirror just i i, won't, I don't want to allude to like say that all republicans or conservatives are becoming more extreme but it does because seem to be a larger group than it has been for a while do you think that's an attempt to mirror as things go further, as Overton's window shifts further and further to the right, do you mm. think that's Alex's attempt to uh, compensate for that, or was this a natural progression? I don't know. That that's that's tough. That's tough to say. 
Um, I mean, I guess that's a lot of it. You're not him. It's it's a lot of interpretation on your part. But yeah, you've probably I, listened to him more than anyone who isn't completely indoctrinated at this point. So I wonder about that. <laughs> I think it's possible. <laughs> I don't know if I'm I'm at the top of any list, but like most hours logged listening to this guy without losing my mind, I might be close. <laughs> um. No, I don't. I don't know. Uh, I think that the thought that I had when you were asking that question is his his getting more and more overt, like religious kind of stuff. To me, it kind of feels like the way is to make the grift safer a little bit. I mean, okay, religion has a long history of televangelists who are complete con men, and like Jim Baker still has a show, which is fucking insane. He went to prison. (laughs) For, he got out for said being a sorry fraud. <laughs> yes for being a fraud <laughs> yep. he came out and he's like god forgave me and then now i'm gonna do it again <laughs> and everyone's like yay let's give him money which so, which like, pre- which pastor was it who said that he believed that his his sins had been washed in the forgetfulness of god's love I can't, wow. I can't remember who that was. One of the televangelists, but his sins had been washed in the great forgetfulness of God's Sounds life. like the 700 Club guy. <laughs> That's an amazing line. <laughs> it's, it, they're good at the one-liners, man. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, think, I think that Alex is smart enough to recognize that there is more uh, stability and more... Um, you can get away with more uh, if you're in that grifting space. Um, and I, I, I get I get a feeling that maybe like that would be a good place to land, like as being a televangelist in the same way that like Kid Rock went country. Yeah. You know, yeah, like more stable <laughs> fan base. Well, I mean, do you think Alex Cheryl has- Crow, too? Right. I mean, she went to she, she did, so, did a bunch of country music, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think so. We were talking about how you like Carly Rae Jepsen before we started. Love the her. Podcast. See, uh, I, I don't it's, I don't it's get a formula. It, it's a formula. I don't I don't understand. But I think I'm, <laughs> I think I might be too black for Carly Rae Jepsen. I don't know. Oh, come on. Party I- for one. <laughs> Great song. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I accept that my tastes are not necessarily universal. I mean, I've made okay. peace with that. But, I, it's, yeah. it's totally fine. I, I just, um, yeah, anyway. <laughs> I totally lost my train of thought thinking about Carly Rae Jepsen. I'm sure that that's not an unusual happening for lots of people. I, um, I want to get it. I, we don't have to talk about it. We were, I, I don't, it's, it's fine. It's fine. Um, in terms of influences, to get back to the questions that I had here, you've you've mentioned I've heard him mention several times. Uh, like, there's a general outline for his origin story, I guess, and uh, none dare call it conspiracy comes up somehow mm-hmm. in all of the different origin stories. Have you read the book? Are I you- have. Yes. Yeah. Gary Allen's uh, none dare call it conspiracy. It's uh, trash. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I don't know. It's 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 a it's an interesting book, and Gary Allen's a fascinating uh, character from uh, that period. He was a uh, big guy within the John Birch Society okay. uh, for a bit, and a lecturer. And he um, he wrote this book, and it ha- it has a lot of the sort of basis of a lot of the Federal Reserve conspiracies and stuff in it. Not to say that it's the beginning of it, but like it, it's supposed to be a primer for a lot of that. Like it's supposed to get you to a place where you can accept some of these basis, okay. like these basic elements of these conspiracy theories. 
about the insiders, I believe is is his term for the globalists. They all have a weird there's there's always a weird word that they use instead of what they're actually talking about. Yeah, <laughs> the insiders, the elitists, the, these are those terms that were sort of more around in the early times. A lot of it is sort of um conjecture. A lot of it is also cribbing from uh some other sources like uh like uh, Carol Quigley's book Tragedy and Hope. Okay. Uh, there is uh there's a bit of that. In the same way that W. Cleon Skousen's Naked Capitalist or Naked Communist his Naked Capitalist was the one that was just basically him using uh Carol Quigley's stuff uh out of out of context in order to create conspiracies out of. I, I resent the book None Dare Call It Conspiracy. I Does... I find it maddening. Does Nundare include the protocols of the elders of Zion? Uh, speaking no, of things no, that, that come up Cooper. over and over and over and over and over again. Uh, I think there's some thematic connections, but not like in terms it's it's you know how like Bill Cooper's Behold the Pale Horse actually printed the protocols. It was in the book, right. Yeah, this was not like that. No, it wasn't it was not included in there. Something I discovered doing research for the episode where we discussed uh, Charles Coughlin last week, uh he had a magazine called Social Justice, which uh that was originally he like coined that term, I guess. Uh he had the National Social Social Justice Union, which was a fascist labor union and a magazine called The Social Justice, and he reprinted the protocols in the magazine every single week. Wow. For years. <laughs> Uh, also, also located in Michigan, right by Henry Ford, uh, which is mm-hmm. another place that all of these things seem to intersect. So it's sure. interesting the patchwork of the right that's kind of just been, I don't know, since like the early 1920s up mm-hmm. until this week, really, when you talk about <laughs> <laughs> some of the, the structures and the influences that they've just always been the same. Yeah, for sure. Another hub that I seem to see come up all of the time is the George Wallace campaign. Oh, that's another... yes. That's where the National Front started, isn't it? Do I have yeah, that there's, right? Yeah, th- there are a bunch. I think it's the National Alliance. Okay, uh, William was... uh, Luther Pierce? Yeah, yeah. Okay, he, okay. He, he was part of the like Youth for Wallace, I believe, and that's that uh, turned into the National Alliance, I believe, if I have my, my details correct. I think there's you're tons... right about that. There's tons and tons of little points that intersect in the Wallace campaign from the uh, John Birch Society types to a lot of the the stuff that has trickled down into right wing and militia conspiracy theory culture uh, as it stands now. Is Alex a member of the John Birch Society or is it just seem like he draws a lot of influence from there? I the most concrete answer I can give to that is he's said that when he was younger, his parents had John Birch Society books in the house and that they would have people over who were from the John Birch Society for dinners and stuff like that, which makes me think his parents were part of the John Birch Society. Because right, why the fuck would you have those people in your house otherwise? And have the books. And the, you know, and the books, right. It seems, and uh, you, you know, obviously you believe almost identical things to, to well, all of it. Right, there's a lot of through line there as far as the anti-Semitism and anti-communism. Yeah, and so like I think you probably grew up in a house that was, whether or not it was technically like members of the Birchers, it was probably very, very close. So, and I, I, don't, I don't know how much he would identify with them, but he's spoken positively about the organization, especially in their earlier days. You think he thinks they might have lost their way a little bit as their power waned? 
Would you say um, it's uh, a fair assessment that, fuck, I totally just lost my train of thought. Uh, don't smoke weed before you have to do these things, everyone. <laughs> um, if you, I, I, as somebody who, uh, whenever I smoke weed, I can't even talk. I think you're doing great. <laughs> oh, I appreciate that. Thank you very much. We keep a running tally of this happens at least once, like every other episode, where I'm mid-sentence yeah, yeah. and I forget what the fuck I'm saying. <laughs> um, we were talking about the John Birch Society, whether or not Alex was a member, uh, and his relationship with that material anti-communism yeah i fucking lost it it'll come back uh it always does once i start talking about something else it'll come back i (sighs) think it would be very safe to say that he uh, like a lot of his beliefs and a lot of his worldview is deeply rooted in the people who are john bircher uh society folk and also the people who are associated with it and adjacent to it um but he probably would be He'd probably get argumentative if you tried to label him a member or something. The thought came back. I told you, as soon as I stopped uh-huh. talking about it, it comes back. Would you say it's safe to say he's always been conservative? Or or has that been a development as far as like a red pilling over time? Because he did try to maintain that veneer of I'm not on the left or the right for quite some time. I don't think that was true when you started paying attention to what he was saying. No. Uh, I, I think that the, the right wing conservative aspect of his rhetoric is much more apparent now. I think that he's intensely conservative, always has been, and is an extreme right-wing uh, person in terms of especially social uh, beliefs. And um, I think that the confusion comes down to, like, he's all, he doesn't like the Democrats or the Republicans. Like, that's basically, that's where he gets the, uh, people can have the idea that he's not really, In like, the sense hyper- that neither is far right enough. That's the feeling that I get whenever I go and I listen to him from periods of time that aren't the present. When you go back and you listen to the time when he was trying to play the I'm not on the left or the right game, that Mm. kind of thing does not seem true. And the reason is because what he's actually saying is all of this is communism. (laughs) (laughs) It's that John Bircher thing. Yeah, it's the left and the right, the Republicans and the Democrats. Exactly. Alex has the text to the politician tattooed on his chest. <laughs> uh, now, uh, we, we uh, showed you that clip of Charles Coughlin and um, discussed him a little bit. And there's that element that there that relates to this where he, you heard him say he was very critical of both the Democrats and the Republicans and both capitalism and communism. And I was sort of fascinated by that as an idea in the mm-hmm. research that uh, there was a quote that I found uh, where he was saying that he hated capitalism because it was so shit that it made communism appealing. Mm-hmm. That that was the, he was anti-capitalist because of the appeal that it gave to communism. And I see a little bit of that in the I'm not left or right, but in reality, it's just neither of them are fascist enough mm-hmm. <laughs> sort of yeah. rhetoric of of Alex Jones. And uh, another influence uh, we've touched on again and again in the episode, we might as well get into it. Bill Cooper. Mm -hmm. Uh, that was sort of my introduction to conspiratorial thinking as a young person. I was a big Wu-Tang fan in the 90s. Sure. So there was a lot of overt references. You hold a pale horse, of course. (laughs) (laughs) You can't love the old dirty bastard and not know, man. Oh, my God. For Uh, sure. And there's tons and tons of hip-hop 
references to Bill Cooper. Kill Army things. literally has an album called Silent Weapons for Quiet Wars. Yeah. Uh, yep. So there's there's a lot of Bill Cooper thrown into like 90s black culture. Plus, I've been to prison. Bill's huge in prison, like still. Mm-hmm. I think everyone's read that book in prison. If you're there for I've more than that. a year, it's it's just uh, it, he speaks in a way that I think people who are afraid of constant surveillance understand. Mm-hmm. It seems I could see that. Uh, and there's also that appeal where the, the racism that you get from people like Alex is not present. Um, Bill's I've listened bit- to I've listened to a lot of Bill Cooper's show, The Hour of the Time, and. There it's self righteous and preachy, but it's not racist. There's a yeah. There's a, there's a there are moments of sensitivity to race issues, even that you can hear, and it seems so weird, like because you just expect that not to be there. No, what you understand of the militia movement is that that is not something mm-hmm. you should come to expect. He's kind of an anomaly. Yeah. And then also there's episodes where he like talks about uh, being opposed to Christian identity and British Israelism and stuff like that. And it's like, whoa, okay, weird. Woke for a militia guy. I mean, I don't want to give him too (laughs) much credit. Uh, He's still a maniac, you know, who lived in a hill and beat his wife and kid or whatever. But uh, hashtag militia woke. (laughs) (laughs) The woke 2A people. We've all met one. Um I'm talking about me. Uh, we, we, we've all met one. I grew up in Fenelton, Moxie. I, I know a couple of them. Those people aren't woke. Well, they're, oh. Oh, they're not woke, but they got bunkers. It's, that's very, very true. Uh, so, Behold the Pale Horse. Have you read Behold the Pale Horse? Are you familiar I with I have the... not. No, I couldn't. I I think I tried when I was younger, and I just couldn't. I, I couldn't do it. It's not well written. It. It's not well written. I mean, no, no. I think I think I like uh, I like my crazies in uh, audio format too. I think I think I enjoy that a bit more. That's um, fair. Uh, you mentioned coast to coast, a, coast to coast AM earlier, I sure. Think, uh, and that seemed to be an intersecting point for a lot of these people, particularly back in the '90s, where you'd have. It's. I think it's interesting how many people that are on the panel for Ancient Aliens <laughs> have been on coast to coast for about twenty years now. Yeah, uh, quite a few. I think that uh, George Norrie sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I tend to agree. Yeah, he's been on Infowars a couple times, and he sucks. I think he was a proto-Joe Rogan, but he doesn't get the credit for that. I think that uh, in terms of, I'm not going to be the shithead, but I will give all of the shitheads free reign to talk for three hours on my program and challenge yeah. nothing. <laughs> yeah. My my favorite thing I heard of his was um, around the Boston bombing. Uh, uh, we listened to an episode of Coast to Coast from from around then. And this caller calls in and she's saying, like, isn't it weird that everybody who got hurt, it was all on their legs. <laughs> and, and George Norrie's response was, you're right. It's all legs. <laughs> what? Sometimes you have true. to be slightly more objective than that. <laughs> Yeah, Do we you have to know push that? Back. Have we checked the hospital records? It's, it's all legs. It's fine. Fuck it. Have your moment. <laughs> yeah, that's that was that was very Roganian or uh, Roganesque. Roganesque, absolutely. I and I think that Joe Rogan now fulfills a lot of that uh, space in terms of we will give you a uh, soft platform with which to work. I mean, even for yeah. Alex, he's been on there several times. True, true. And if unfortunately, if the same thing that happened with Coast to Coast happens with Rogan. It's going to spawn all sorts of people who are influenced by it 
that uh, go into even less rigorous paths. Well, I mean, we've we've already got Tony Hinchcliffe, who somehow true, true. has a podcast. I he's uh, had a podcast for a long time. Has I, he really? Tony? Yeah. I, I, yeah, I just but, knew him from stand-up. I didn't know if he had a podcast previous to being with the Rogan Network. I didn't know that. He, he had that uh, that open mic Kill Tony podcast that was uh, around for years. But it, it's, it seems to have grown now after he yelled at an Asian guy. Well, yeah, you know, being racist gets you a lot of fans. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of circles. <laughs> Turns out it helped his brand, shockingly. <laughs> Cancel culture, totally out of control. <laughs> I've heard that. There's a huge tour package coming through that I think is based around it. Uh, mm-hmm. So uh, to continue from that, do, do you think that we socially still need or have a place for people like Alex? I think that it's it's difficult to, with the uh, climate becoming more and more dangerous as as time moves, as things move forward and the escalation is what it is, do you think that we have space for people like Alex? moving forward yeah yeah i think so i mean like i think the platonic ideal of alex yes the actual version of alex where he's a inciting racist piece of shit uh no i don't think we have much room for that but someone who's like what alex pretends to be yes (laughs) i think that it is important to have somebody who's wrong sometimes and somebody who's a little bit out there who's making points that sometimes are relevant you know like that's the, fair i mean someone, there's someone nothing who's, wrong with asking questions necessarily I if what you're doing is actually answer asking questions sure if there isn't yes, an agenda I, <laughs> I think that there's much of an agenda with the questions alex asks but even if you're anti-government and like you're that's that's where you're at and you're asking questions and you're suspicious of the government i think that kind of a voice even if Sometimes you're suspicious of the wrong things and sometimes you're wrong. I still think that having that kind of uh, airing on that side, or at least having some voice that's airing on that side can often catch things that other people might miss. And so, you know, I think I, I, I don't think that society can't contain that. Um, but unfortunately, the the sort of scam version and the version that is sort of Trojan horsing bigotry I don't really, I don't know how useful that is. Do you think that true version of what Alex does exists, or do you think it's all a grift? You know what I mean? Uh, probably I, it's, not. Because it's, I, 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 I hate to, to say it, but I think the closest thing I've observed to someone who believes that shit is Nick, and it's fucking terrifying for starters, mm-hmm. uh, but um, that seems to be a person who believes the rhetoric as opposed to I mean, he's pretty much a product of internet radicalization, right? For all intents and purposes. It seems like it, yeah. I mean, like, during the 2016 primaries in the GOP, like, he was in high school, and he was, like, for his high school, he was putting out videos uh, that were pretty mainline libertarian type. Like, it's clear that it just fell off during the GOP primaries. Something just went. And I would have to assume it had something to do with uh, internet stuff. Uh, Maybe a tiny bit of an assumption on my part. Well, I mean, it's it seems to be a pretty common. Uh, he seems to have taken to it better than a lot of other people, and maybe he's a bit more well spoken. But that... I think, I think to your question though about like, is there anybody who's actually doing that? I think probably, but they're like maybe journalists, and okay. they're like they're not attention seeking, um, so they're not making celebrities of themselves. But I bet there are a ton of people that you know their names aren't household names. But they're doing a lot of hard work on a day-to-day basis, 
to, you know, keep mindful of government overreach or uh, send FOIA requests and stuff. You so, know, like I think. So what you're saying is the legitimate version of Alex Jones would have been Hunter S. Thompson. Basically. No, good God, no. <laughs> <laughs> I just really I like think, guns I, I living think, in the desert and not talking <laughs> to anybody, man. It's fine. <laughs> I think I think Alex would like that to be the truth, but no, I don't. I don't think Alex could handle the kind of hallucinogens uh, that dude did. But that would be a hell of an episode of Infowars. You ever see the man in the depths of an ether trip? <laughs> <laughs> that would be that would be awesome. I know that this is an unethical, and I don't wish this upon anybody. But if the next time he does Rogan, someone just hit him with a blow dart full of acid. <laughs> I feel you. I'm so against dosing, but if someone that, ever needed dosed. Wasn't there that video of him walking through the woods like in his underwear in the wintertime where people were having some conjecture about whether or not he might have been tripping? Are I you familiar think with that, him? Yeah, I think that was an ad he did, though. That I think was, it was... was a commercial? I think so. <laughs> if I remember the, If I remember correctly what you're talking about, I think that was like an ad for iodine or something. <laughs> Why the fuck not? <laughs> now, I, I guess to someone who's who's gotten to the position he has where he's had influence, well, not influence on the president, I think that might be over-exaggerating his relationship with Trump, but um, to someone who's had the exposure he has, where I think that for such a long time, people like Alex only really worked as, as a small niche thing you had to find, uh, now that he's had all of that exposure, is there an exit strategy? Uh, do you think he's... Because I know the Sandy Hook thing is still going on, and that's sort of right. looming, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so is there an exit strategy, or does this go on forever? You know what I mean? I uh, I wonder that. I, I do, too. And I don't know. Like, I've always tried to – I always have the instinct of, like, ah, this is where this is going. And like I said earlier, I've always been wrong. I can't <laughs> – I can't pretend that I have, like, based on the information that I know, that I have any kind of idea what's going to happen. Like, I think my best guess would be that he could become, like, a televangelist type. I think that would be a smart move on his part. Veer away from politics for the most part and try and keep some kind of a spiritual core of the audience that'll keep uh, the business going. It's the less alternative apparent would to be, a large crowd when you're wrong about the Bible than it is when you're wrong about politics. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and people tend to leave televangelists mostly alone. Like Jim Baker doesn't make the headlines that That's often. That's true, and I mean he could officially not have to pay taxes anymore if he could declare Infowar as a church. Or he could something. figure that That's, out. Oh, God. There's probably some room Do not for that give him in that there. Idea. There's um, lax enforcement, <laughs> <laughs> and he is in Texas at that. Yeah, I think the alternative to that would be like do one last big score or something and then try to get out. Like, I think he could disappear. It's just Infowars would be fucked because none of those other people have any chops. Oh, God, no. It's Uh, a disaster. Owen Troyer is not going to host a four hour long show that anybody watches. The bench is thin. (laughs) I mean, Um, there is always the possibility that like black people and women might work there if Alex isn't there, but you never know. Uh, eh. <laughs> I don't know. Far gone. I, I, mean, I don't know. I don't think. I don't think any of those other dudes are much cooler. <laughs> you're you're not wrong. Um. So it, you mentioned you have difficulty predicting things based on what you do in your relationship with 
I guess it's weird to say your relationship with Alex, that sounds wrong, but what was it like being directly addressed by the show? Finally, you know, you had that New York Times uh, article written about you a few, what was that in March? I think. Uh, yeah, I think so. It was a little, a little bit back. Yeah. A few months ago. And they do, they addressed you directly on the show several times. What was that like? <laughs> well, uh, I, Alex didn't. Oh, um, he didn't actually. It was just the lackeys. Well, yeah, it was it was Harrison Smith did a did a piece about the article. And I thought that that was a pretty cowardly thing to do. I, I don't. I don't know. Like, I, I, I have a difficult time figuring out how much of the, it, like, where's the narcissism line? Right. Like, I don't think I can believe that Alex doesn't know who we are. Well, There's you've been an article, doing your show for how many years now? All about five. <laughs> <laughs> there was an article in the New York Times about our show. That someone on his network complained about our article in the New York Times. <laughs> like, it seems hard to believe that he doesn't know. And if he's not talking about it the way he complains about everything else, that seems like a choice. Well, absolutely. I, I think I, you very, very precisely dissect everything he says. I don't know that he'd want to drive traffic your way. <laughs> See, that thought is in my head, but then there's the other part of it that's like, well, that's that's narcissistic to think like he would be afraid of people listening to our show. I would like to believe that that's true, but I, I, I don't mean, know as, as being someone that isn't you. So it won't sound arrogant coming from me. I, most of the criticism of Alex that I hear is not very, uh, it's, it's not very objective criticism. It's it, look at the crazy man who's taking his shirt mm. off and yelling stupid things. It's not, he said this, here's where that came from. I found the clip. He's lying about it. And here's what it really says. Sure. It's, it's very much just the dismantling of his entire way of dispensing propaganda. Yeah. I, and I think he, I think it would be threatening to like the way that we can sort of demonstrate his sales tactics and also the like, ah, he didn't actually read this article he's talking about. Like it, you know, I think that the, the, the tearing down of the, the image uh, that he presents, I think, would be more threatening than anything. But I don't even know if he's aware that that's what we do. That's the well, part I know of one of the clips that I heard was that they don't even talk about what Alex says. They don't do any research. And I thought that's all the fucking show is. You yeah. clearly haven't listened to the show then. Because there's was, some of those episodes that are take. four hours long of just you <laughs> listening to Alex, reading what he was supposedly talking about and explaining why it's not true. Yeah, but that's a standard deflection. That's exactly what I would have expected them to to say. Because I, I I don't know. I, I, it's it was really surreal, and I, I will say that that day was not super pleasant for me. Well, knowing what you know about his fan base and things like Pizzagate, there has to be some aspect of uh, there's people who might live in the hills with lots of guns who know who I am now. I would assume, right? There's the, the thought crossed my mind, but I don't. I. I I'm not really all that concerned about that. And quite frankly, like if someone tried to hurt me because I do a podcast where I joke about how stupid Alex Jones is, I think that would be kind of funny. <laughs> I, mean, I, I don't want them to do it, but it would be a little bit ironic. The headlines of podcast host Pizzagated would be. <laughs> <laughs> if something happens to me, please keep Pizzagate out of the headline. <laughs> We'll try our best. <laughs> I, don't know I, I, I feel just more like the discomfort that I had was that like this thing is so external to me 
Um, and I'm watching it and I don't want to feel like I'm affecting it. You know, I don't want to affect the thing that I'm studying because then it seems like, well, if I have an influence over this, I could try and provoke some mm. kind of content and then I could respond to that kind of content. And then it's kind of it felt it feels like cheating. And so there was a part of me that felt like, I don't know if we crossed a line here where our names have been said on Infowars. It's it's bizarre. It's the same reason that I always have persuaded or tried to encourage our listeners to not call in and prank call him or something, you know, like because he does take calls sometimes. And I think it would be counterproductive for our listeners to call in and like baba buoy him or like yell knowledge fight or something well and you're not going to get a genuine reaction regardless of what reaction you get i don't know no, if alex no, allows not. himself to have genuine reactions to things publicly mm-hmm. <laughs> that seems to be my observation yeah um, that, i mean i guess i can't really make a statement about whether he is or isn't acting but it does seem to be he's a fairly controlled person emotionally <laughs> Uh, (laughs) except for when there's a tech glitch and then everyone's going to die and he starts fake crying. Well, but how much of that do you think is an act? You know, know. it's it's, it's hard to say like with the wrestling thing. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think we'll know like once he retires, once, once it's all over, I think there'll be a great documentary series that I hope I get to be involved in. (laughs) (laughs) You better. Yeah. I mean, you certainly put in the work. I, I, he's probably going to have to ask you for references on certain I, episodes by the time it's all done. I hope that I hope that, like, I don't know, twenty years from now, I can do a searching for Sugarman kind of documentary, <laughs> but just about Alex. He's gone into obscurity. I go and I try and find him. Find and, him living uh, in the woods in yeah. Montana somewhere, growing wheat. Yeah, yeah. That would living be great. a humble life, yeah. eating chili out of a can. Hey, Alex, you're finally going to get the palm door. Just come with me. <laughs> You'll finally get that respect from Hollywood. That's fucking fantastic. Uh, so I guess just one last question for you. Uh, sure. in, uh, we've talked a lot about uh, Alex's effect on his audience, the uh, almost brainwashing. Uh, and a, a question that I've had, especially after starting to do research for this show, uh, all the history of how the right wing has operated in the United States and how we've gotten to here with the fear edging and propaganda and et cetera. How do you move forward from what people like Alex have done socially? Because you, you could talk about things like deprogramming, you, uh, but I know that there's a lot of reasons that that's not really effective or, or the best option, but it seems like there's been like a fundamental tampering of reality uh, th- through the actions of people like Alex and the way we've normalized them. How do you, as a person who's observed him and his audience for as many years as you have, feel like we uh, fix what what they've done? <laughs> I guess for a lack of a better way to put it. Uh, I don't I don't know. That's something that I wrestle with a bit, you know, like because I do I do want uh, progress to be made on that front. You know, obviously, that would be something that would be helpful. Um, but I think, I don't know. I think that the only thing that I come back to is like so much of this seems to be an educational deficit. And I'm I'm not talking about like formal education or anything, but like so much of these things, the way that the footholds are, are, are allowed for many of these uh, propaganda conspiracy narratives are people just having a fundamental misunderstanding of X, Y, or Z. Like a Dunning Kroger kind of thing. I'm sorry. Like a Dunning Kroger kind of thing. Sure, sure, that can be a part of it. Yeah, um, and and I think that just 
like having empathy for the people who are tricked or who fall into these uh, spaces and having nothing but disgust and uh, uh, hatred uh, for the people who willingly profit off people uh, being led down those roads. I think walking that balance is helpful. And then secondarily, I think outside of the educational aspect where you can provide better information, I think the other thing too is that it intersects with just the material uh, conditions that people are living in. And I think that so many of the propaganda narratives that are particularly harmful are often built on sometimes valid concerns that people have about modern society. There are things that are not well organized. There are things that could be uh, improved upon vastly. And a lot of times it doesn't feel like those voices are being heard. And that gives an opportunity for a propagandist or a conspiracy theorist to come in and offer an easy explanation that often ends up scapegoating uh, a community. And I think that if you can look at educational elements and the material conditions people are living in, if, if we can make some progress on those fronts, I think the accepting of reality kind of, I hope, I think, I don't know, I could be very wrong. I think it'll get better gradually. I think. Maybe. <laughs> that's an optimist view, yeah. yeah I, I guess not, that's I'm, as optimistic was, as you can let yourself be with some of those things. Yeah, and exactly that much confidence in the optimism, too, which is almost none. <laughs> that's absolutely, I mean, you're certainly more well-adjusted than most people who spend, like, six days a week listening to a raving lunatic, so. Well, <laughs> you know, I got a therapist, and, uh, you know, I've... I've <laughs> I, I spend a good amount of time uh, with the cat, so I think I think those things help. Oh yeah, absolutely. It does. And because I've listened to him so much, I can constantly just think like, "You're full of shit." While I listen, <laughs> and this and is that old helps. hat. You've been saying it since 2007. <laughs> it was bullshit then, and it's bullshit now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's that gives me some Steve emotional Kachenic distance. Impression, I think. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah. God! Uh, well, thank you very much for being here, Dan. It's been lovely speaking with you. It's um, uh, it's been a delight. Yeah. So uh, for the guys here at the Four Cornered Room, uh, Dan Friesen of Knowledge Fight, thank you for being here. We're signing off. Yeah. Peace. <laughs>